Carrie. Yeah. Who are we? The crazy screaming divas. <laughs> In the woods with their Canadian shirts on. Thank you, Parkhurst, by the way. Yes, nice. Company. Yeah. And who did product we- placement. Yeah, <laughs> product placement. Who did we just interview? Oh my gosh. <gasps> Jake Hagee like composer extraordinaire. I mean, I feel like we could just ping pong back the shows that he's done. Um, Dead Man Walking. Are you kidding me? Like what? Yeah. 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 And he's just written a, a song cycle for Josh Hopkins, a Canadian baritone oh. by, with words by Margaret Atwood. So another amazing Canadian. Yes. Thank you. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like product placement here today for Canada, but I honestly, Carrie and I, we, we record these little intros right after we do the interview and I am breathless and speechless and so in gratitude for what Jake had to say, almost like close to tears because he gets well, us. Yeah. And it's important and not just for singers, but for everybody. Yeah. You know, there was just really some wonderful things talked about, said, laughter, lots of laughter in this one, of course. I mean, come on. It's the Screaming Divas, people. It's the Screaming Divas. So yeah. I don't know which clip we're going to choose because there are so many. But so many to choose, but here you go. Let's see. Yay. It's, it's really true, and, but I think it applies in any, any part, any person in any part of the world. True. If you're constantly hiding yourself, if you're so afraid of your authentic yourself, your authentic self that you keep it pushed down, the only thing it's gonna hurt is you. True. And you, will, you won't find your, your, your true path. It's like, I talk to singers all the time about how you have to let things go. We, we breathe in air, you have to exhale, right? You bring in food or liquid, you have to let it go, pass through. Emo emotions have to pass through you, right? Ooh, and yeah. so it, the more you hold on to these things, the more destructive it is. Because you hold on to any of those things and it will hurt you, right? So letting it pass through you, letting it go, being that vessel. And that's true for everyone in this world. And the more you hold on to this stuff, the more destructive it is to you and the people around you. Yeah. So it's a, it was a big lesson learned. What else do we need to say? Okay, I'm sorry, but what are you doing to me? What are you doing? What's happening? I've been cleaning out. I've been cleaning out my music room, and um, you oh know, God. Verity is kind of like my thing. And I know. What are you gonna do? Should I look? I'm afraid. <laughs> Ciao. Io sono Signore Giuseppe Verdi. Ciao. And he says in Italian, please. What? Sottoscritto. Subscribe, people. If um, Giuseppe Verdi tells you to subscribe, to do it. What um is the tag still on there so you know what that is? <laughs> it's better than the bell, people. It's better than the bell. So that's all I'm gonna say. Please subscribe. Giuseppe Verdi, right there. It says right there. If it says that. He's telling us to subscribe. Like all of you need to do it, please. Thank you. Um, I apologize, world. Love you. Bye. <laughs> Bye.
watch the video. Yay! Hi. Hello. Hey, how are you? <laughs> oh, I'm good. Liquid. Yay! Ooh, is that like a Moscow mule in there? Hundred <gasps> percent. We heart you so much. Yeah. Oh my Lovely to see you and, and you too. Jerry Alkama. I don't know if you two have ever met or not. I don't think so. Yes, another soprano extraordinaire. Oh, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. And I love the book on the piano. I mean, come on. Hello. And she sent it to me and wrote in it. Yeah. I'll show Are you. Are you going to show us that? I feel like we need to sure. cheer her. Yeah, cheers. We're going to have a cheers to that. I'm already in the Christmas spirit because I am making spirits bright with my glass. Because you know what? This year, it needs to be Christmas all year round. Wait from an oh. I feel like I should reach through and be like, touch you and go, that's amazing. Talk about a screaming diva, right? Oh, man. You know, I wish that we could have gotten to her before all of that. But you know what? No. No, I mean, I was a DC baby, you know, when Domingo started the program there. And so she was, you know, as you know, and was always there. So I've met her so many times over the years and have photographs of that. And what I loved is I, you know, as I came back as an established artist was talking with her one-on-one -on -one and really hearing, if you asked her what she thought, she told you. So you better oh, be prepared. Yeah. If she didn't like your singing or she didn't like something, you were going to know about it. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but she always said it in a way that you could take it in. But she never, you know, if you asked her opinion, she was going to give you her opinion. Which yeah, I love. But what I also loved about her, and, and one of the reasons why I think she was such a great opera fan, she was such a listener. Yeah. She really tuned into her frequency. Yeah. And she loved to listen across the ages and across time. And she was very focused on what was going in the moment, all the dynamics. And and then making observations in her own judgment based on that. It's pretty, she was amazing. She was totally amazing. And I, I was felt really lucky to sing Tosca in front of her and have that mm -hmm. conversation and talk about things mm -hmm. that she really loved mm -hmm. and things that she didn't like. And then, then the next one was Don Giovanni, which was just recently happened. Was your last job, Carrie's last, last job before, before craziness started called COVID-19. Called COVID. Okay, so let's talk about that. We gotta go there. How are you? How are you? Yes, <laughs> Let's take a big swallow. Yes, exactly. Oh, yes. Um, doing okay. You know, it was um, in May and I mean March and April. I was writing music like a demon because suddenly I wasn't traveling. I wasn't going anywhere. I was just home. I was focused. I was writing a new opera. Cool. So it's like writing all this music, and then slowly the reality began to creep in. And then May came and then all the social unrest and all the other stuff happening and, and all the horrors, horrible things that were going on. And, and so June and July, I would go to my studio every day and write nothing. It was just in my studio when I'm writing, I'm sort of used to a blissful uncertainty where I know something is going to blossom from the ether, you know, because I expect uncertainty in that room. But all of a sudden there was uncertainty everywhere. And so it just, uh, it was overwhelming and distracting, I think, for, for all of us. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, then around August, something shifted in me and I started to find my, my juju again, you know, and I, and I started writing music and I finished the act of this opera and I finished a couple of songs and I started moving again. And I think it was 
realizing how to deal with with where we are yeah. just like and how to keep connecting to people even if we can't be in the same room yes i know yes. we will be again and we will share those vibrations in person because that's what it's all about absolutely but, but settling into the reality and just being able to move forward uh instead of being stuck because i think being yeah. stuck is against everything that we believe in and that we work for okay. music is like essentially breathing. yeah it felt like like something, Carrie and I, we've said this a lot, like something died and we had to grieve that loss in order to move forward. Yes, absolutely. And, and the thing is, music is essentially optimistic. It's about the future. It's about working hard now to create something, to give something away, um, because that's what we do. We give it away. Ultimately, we get paid, but you know, but we give it away, you know, and that's, you know, and that's, that's ultimately what it's about, being in the room and giving this thing away. And I think finding ways to do that be, until we get back in the room about sharing and connecting, like what you're doing with this, you know, yeah. so I'm so happy to be here with you. Oh, yeah. we're so glad you came. You know, that's why we started it because we missed the connection. Exactly. I missed my, you know, the insanity of my crazy wonderfully creative friends you know I was like oh, and my poor husband who I call a normal you know because he's not in the music business at all was like I'm sure you know with all my energy was like oh my gosh what am I gonna do with my, this woman in this house for this long so this <laughs> so this has been such an amazing outlet for that and to even on days when I don't feel like I'm over it I'm over the election I'm over whatever is going on the, the latest cancellation of something we get on here, I throw some makeup on my face and we start talking and by the end of it, we're all having a great time and laughing and you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's a joy, yeah. it's really a joy. So it's thanks for totally. doing it. Ah, happy to be here with you. I'm a big fan. Yay! <laughs> well, okay. No, we're, we're fangirling. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I haven't been drinking. And so today I said, you know what? In honor of JK, I'm actually gonna have a drink. So I'm <laughs> So for all those people out there watching, I'm sorry, I'm already getting a little warm, but it's cold here and starting to settle in and it's and, snow. And you're gonna match your sweater. I'm gonna match, um, yeah, I'm gonna match my, yeah, my little. <laughs> but I wanna know, okay, how did you, how did you get into this business? I mean, did music choose you or did you choose yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, it was always going to be music. I just didn't know what, you know. I mean, when I was a kid, it was all about the musicals that I saw. You know, I knew nothing about opera or classical singing. I only knew about musicals. I saw opera singers on TV, you know, Marilyn Horn on The Muppets and, you know, all yes. kinds of great stuff, you know. And, but I didn't really know anything about it. My family wasn't connected to it. I studied piano. Okay. Um, and then when I was 11, I started writing songs for Barbara Streisand even though she never saw one, but if she had, she could have had a career. All right, I'm just saying. <laughs> Did you ever send them to her? No, I was too shy. <laughs> you know, Jake, I know her. You know, I know you her. Do. Can we send them to her? <laughs> Stop. Oh, come on, that yeah. would be wonderful. I wrote yeah. so many songs for her. Um, yeah, her voice opened my ears to, you know, to music, to possibility. Uh, what a brave, amazing singer. And she made it seem so fun. Right. And brought right. everyone along with her, you know. So yeah. who wouldn't want to write for her? Um, Definitely. So that'd be amazing. That's amazing. I only ever saw her. I saw her. I've seen her twice um, where I was in a, a, a store when I was a student at UCLA. I was in Westwood Village in a sunglass store. 
And all of a sudden, <laughs> I was looking at this case and this hand came over and went, I'd like to see those there. And I went, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I'm like, like I was frozen. I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. It's like, yeah. Can I, can I tell you? She's my first diva. That's your first. Can I quick, like very briefly, we yeah. have a mutual, I was doing at LA Opera, I was doing Swart Angelica and William Friedkin was the director and his wife is best friends with Barbara Streisand. So she oh. actually came to a show and I'm in my nun habit and everything after the show, like all sweaty. And here's Barbara Streisand sitting next to me saying, Sandra, how do you sing like that? I'm like, you're Barbara frickin' Streisand <laughs> and you're asking me this? And then Duncan's talking to James Brolin about driving across the country. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I have to pinch myself. Totally. <laughs> Is this happening? Yeah. yeah. Right. Because the same as you, like she was such an inspiration for so many people, oh. operatic, oh. non-opera, everyone. So everyone. Mm. Okay. So we're going to so tag her on this video and we're going to be like, Barbara, you need to come on the Screaming Divas, but you also need to hear some of this fabulous composer's pieces. FYI, yeah. so get them ready. That's you better pull them literally out. Literally, where it all started. So I, I cool. was writing. I was writing songs with her voice in my mind, and then I went to Paris and studied there at, right after high school, and then went to UCLA and was studying piano and writing more songs. And then I got to know opera. I saw Peter Grimes with John Vickers at the LA Opera. Oh God! And that sort of was like okay. And in Paris, I had seen Jesse Norman sing uh, Death, uh, La Mort de Cléopâtre, yes. and. I just remember it was a song cycle, but it was so theatrical and dramatic. Mm -hmm. And at the very end, you know, there's a long apotheosis in the orchestra after the last note. She finished that last note up here and her hand traced this long arc until the, and she had it timed. So it landed just as the orchestra ended, but you could like, nobody could breathe. It was so thrilling. So my, my introduction to, the, to opera and to opera singers and I've always loved singers more than anything, um, were those experiences. And then, and then I saw Sweeney Todd with Angela Lansbury and just like, what's happening? And, you know, so it was this range of experiences that just sort of led me to this music theater path, but always through great singers. And so in the, in the 90s, I moved to San Francisco and I got a job at the San Francisco Opera in the PR marketing department. Because I had injured my hand, I had what was called a focal dystonia, yeah. and so I couldn't I couldn't play the piano for a few years. Is that what Ian Fleischer had? Uh, yeah, yeah. I and, met uh, his hand was like that when I met him. Yeah, I mean, and you have to really. I, I had to start with basic scales, and the teacher that was working with me say, "You can never play any of the music you've played before ever again, wow. because of muscle memory. It would just it would do it again." Um, so I moved to San Francisco, got this job in the PR marketing department, and the first people I'm working with are Frederica von Stade, Renee Fleming, all the Adler Fellows, all these great people, fun people, and we got to be friends, and then they asked me about songs, and I started writing songs for them, and okay. then Latvi Mansouri invited me to go to New York to meet Terrence McNally, and <laughs> that was the start of Dead Man Walking. And so I, I just, it was this magical, uh, amazing time when all of a sudden all these things happened and I started writing for all these great singers and they started singing my songs all over the world. And then Terrence said yes. And then uh, Sister Helen Prejean said yes to writing this story. And it opened the door to my music theater career. And even though 
I don't write traditional musical theater. What I do write are musicals for opera singers and opera houses. Okay. Um, okay. That, that's to me what they are. And that's what great opera has always been to me. You know, when right. you get that combination of the celebration of the voice and great storytelling through the voice mm -hmm. and someone who really knows how to write well for the voice to express those things and a great artist who we can aspire to write for, who makes it all come to life. It's, it's the most magical thing in the world. It's what it makes, keeps me going every day. I love that. Well, I have so many questions for you. I know, me too. Okay. That stuff. Go! Okay, with Dead Man, because even when you said your experience early on was with musical theaters, there was something about Dead Man Walking for me that I was really curious about, and you don't have to answer these questions, but one... <laughs> one it is an edited show, you know that. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So we can edit out whatever you want. But, um, <laughs> but one of them was why... First, okay, I have two questions, I guess. First is, are there any productions that people have done of Dead Man Walking that you were like, wow, you totally missed the mark? Like, I don't like this production. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm not going to tell you which ones, yeah. but there was even one where I thought to myself, this is the Waiting for Guffman production oh of God. Dead Man Walking. Oh my God. How, I mean, that's heartbreaking. Can you say over that? Can you say, I'm sorry, this is my piece? No. You're done. No, I mean, unless they ask. By that time, you know, it's, that's the thing about writing something. You write it, you try to get it as clear as possible, and then you have to give it away. And the fact is, we've seen, we've all seen or been in bad productions of Mozart operas, Puccini right. operas, etc. <laughs> they didn't have any control over that either. You do have to eventually give it away and trust. Okay. And, you know, and I do believe that directors and companies need to have the freedom to explore, just like we want to explore, you know, okay. and, and try things. Um, sometimes it goes horribly wrong, and sometimes they don't even know. So, um, <laughs> and you're just sitting there like, with this smile on your face and like, wow, you know, and all the lines, I didn't know that was possible. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, would never have, I would never have thought of that. You have that wow. phrase. Mine is such a great artist and the, whatever opera house that I'm at, they're very lucky to have them. <laughs> you just told everybody your secret. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Well, listen, I've been on the other end of that where I literally had a composer come up to me after actually quite a good production um, of Dead Man Walking and said to me, so how did you think that went? I know, you want to poke the person in the eye because oh, you're like, it. well, I know how you felt about it. Obviously. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay, so the other question um, about Dead Man Walking was, why wasn't that done in a way where it was not like musical theater, obviously it was sung by opera singers, but in a way where the production was the same all the way around the world. So every time you knew that, that you were going to Dead Man Walking, you were going to see the same production, even though it might be different singers. Well, there, there is a production that continues to go around right. um, yeah. that came from, it was by director Leonard Folia. Okay. And it started in Costa Mesa, California, and then went, has been all over the world, Everywhere. most recently in Spain. Right. Oh, no, in Chicago, actually, last year in Chicago. But uh, that one has gone everywhere. But part of um, what intrigues me about writing a stage piece like this is to write something where the perspective of the people that come together to present it is gonna open up something I hadn't even thought about. And great directors and designers, as you know, can make us suddenly see a piece 
in a way we never would have expected. Yeah. We hope it's in a good way, you know, not, not in the other way, mm -hmm. but you know, when it does happen or when you hear a certain performer and have a role like you two, where it's like, what? That, the, the, the composer could not have known that was even possible when they wrote that role. You know, I mean, and that's, that's happened to me in, in several productions of my operas where I'll suddenly hear someone do a role that I think I know really, really well. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm hearing it for the first time and they wrote it. And that's what I live for, is to put something out there that inspires other people to try things, bring different perspectives. And the true test of any piece of whether it's going to endure is if it's flexible enough to withstand all of that. Yeah, definitely. You know? um, and so to take eloquent. many different perspectives. You really are so eloquent. I mean, oh. <laughs> you've got a question for Sandra. <laughs> give, give me a couple more of these and we'll yeah, see Yeah, exactly. I'm right there with you. Today okay. was one of those days. So, you know that question, what came first is chicken or the egg? So what comes first for you? Does the music come and then the text or the text and then the music, or is it a wedding of the, the two? How does, that, how does that work? I'll tell you a story. When I, a number of years ago, my mom was living in San Diego and she was in a music appreciation class because she didn't know anything about opera and she thought I should know something about opera. My son's Aww. kind of in opera. And cool. so, I went to visit her music appreciation class one day and I said, okay, I have a new CD and I have a copy for whoever can answer the following question, which comes first, the music or the words? And people were saying music, words, music, words. And finally, you know, I said, well, you're all wrong. What comes first is the story. And then this lady, about 90 years old, raised her hand and she goes, I thought you were going to say, first comes a commission check. And I said, <laughs> I, gave her, I gave her the CD. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess that, that does come first, right? Because right. You got to pay the Hello. rest. Right? Yeah. Hello. Um, but no, the story always comes first. And it has to be a story that inspires and moves me so much that I'm willing to give three, four, five years of my life to it. Okay. And, and that it's gonna inspire that company, that board of directors, that community, my collaborators, the singers that are involved, the writer, the director, everyone has to be that excited about it, that they're willing to spend that much time of their life focused on, on telling the story. So that comes first, the story, I even Stephen Sondheim said to me, 50% of, of any project is finding the right story. You have the right story, 50% of, of it is there, right? Yeah. So finding the story and then working very closely with my librettist and director to find out how we're going to tell this story, how we're going to shape it, what's it going to look like, what's it going to feel like, who can we imagine singing those roles? Mm -hmm. um, how is that going to unfold? Is it going to be one act, two acts? What's the architecture? What's the flow? Where do we want to end act two? Where do we want to begin, you know, where do we want to end act one? You know, all of those questions. So structural questions, character questions, development questions. And then the librettist and I spend time talking about ideas, things that really move us and inspire each of us to, to something really creative. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he'll or she, he or she will start writing things that they send to me. And I'll respond saying, I respond to this. I don't respond to this. I would love more of this. This feels like it goes on. I think we could do this with music or a stage gesture rather than oh, yeah, all yeah. these words. And, uh, and so it's a real back and forth. And then a, eventually a first draft of a libretto comes to me and I start writing. And of course, music then changes everything. 
because you're starting to learn about the heart of the character and what they feel and what motivates them, why they're there, mm -hmm. always, what do they want, what do they want. And, um, and so music tells us things that aren't in the libretto necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so that means the libretto might change even further then. Okay. Or we need new words or we have to change words. So it's a real collaboration right to the end. Cool. Yeah. That's a lot to take in. So go ahead. It's a lot of, it's a lot of work. It is. it is a lot of work. I mean, do you have, so how do you decide, okay, you know, Dead Man Walking, how do you decide that the, the character was a mezzo and not a soprano? Well, that's or a good question. Um, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of an instinct because you have to find the balance of characters. Mm -hmm. And initially we did think Sister Helen would be a soprano. Yeah. Um, and then as, as Terrence McNally, my first uh, writing partner, the late Terrence McNally, um, when he, <sighs> crazy. <laughs> um, he, yeah. And he was one of the earliest uh, fatalities from uh, COVID, uh, March right. 24th. Um, great, great, great man. Um, but when he started talking to me and saying, okay, since we don't know who is going to sing this yet, give me examples of singers from the past who you could imagine. And all of a sudden I started naming all these mezzos. I started naming like Krista Ludwig mm -hmm. and Janet Baker and those kinds of voices. And, cool. and then I thought, well, I guess that's a mezzo role then. And, um, <laughs> and so we went to, I was very, very close with Flicka. You know, I still am, of course. Um, and so I went to her and I asked her if she wanted to be this main role. And she said, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of older for this role. She goes, I want to be in it. I will be in it. But I think you should give that role to one of these younger up and coming mezzos. And, um, and so it became Susan Graham. Um, you know, who was young and up and coming. <laughs> right. And then Joyce Cipriano sent it a lot, right? A lot. And now Jamie mm -hmm. Barton has done it. And um, mm -hmm. it's, it's had some wonderful uh, performers in the role. Um, Pat Brissett took it on in Chicago. Cool. And uh, yeah, it's, so it's been done by sopranos and by mezzos because it's a very high mezzo part. Yes. Um, so can I, but, this might be like an ignorant question though, because perfect. when I discovered your music, I was a mezzo-soprano and eventually changed, my voice changed to soprano. Honestly, I just kind of think I'm in the middle and whatever you want to call me is fine. Um, <laughs> um, but I always felt like you had- you know, Some like, people do go both ways, right? Both ways. <laughs> As the you scarecrow know? said. Yes. And I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not against going back down either. I mean, if I'm singing at 65, some of these awesome mezzo parts, then I've had a great life. Um, but I always felt like you had, and I could be totally wrong, and this might be completely ignorant to say, but I always felt like you had a love for more of the mezzo sound or maybe the baritone sound. And I was wondering if I was right on that. Is that true? That's because of Streisand and all of those pop singers that I grew up listening to. Yeah. You know, yeah. most of them are in that kind of a range. Mm -hmm. They don't, you know, when they go high, it's dramatic and passionate, but it's not a soprano high, you know? Right, it's more conversational. More, yeah, and so I think it's because I grew up with that sound in my ear all okay. those years. And then I just, I don't know why, I became close friends with, with mezzos. <laughs> <laughs> No, I call them normal. They're normal. We're, we are way right. cool. Not, not like a Sopranos. I, I remember uh, Carol Vaness back in the 90s. I just, I palled around the world with her a lot. She was so much fun. I adore Carol. She is so crazy and fun and crazy and fun. And, and, and there were times when she says, Jake, 
when are you going to write for a soprano? And so I said, so I was like talking about projects. And I said, but I really think that's a mezzo role. And she went, no. <laughs> so, but even Carol couldn't like. <laughs> yeah. Can we just talk about Carol Vanessa's Mozart singing? I mean, I'm sorry, but that is like the most, like, I, I mean, it's, I, I'm always disappointed. I love singing those roles, but I'm always disappointed when I go, except for maybe yeah. one. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Where's Carol? <laughs> Her, Alexa, Edomineo. Oh, hurry. Oh, my God. I heard her do all those rules when I was at San Francisco Opera. And, and uh, you know, and Anna Bolena. Oh, my God. Her Anna Bolena and her Donna Anna and her, you know, Elettra and, oh, and uh, Fiordalici and just all these, you know, and I heard her do Tosca quite a few times as well. And, you know, but uh, do, do, you know, do you guys know Carol? Because <laughs> I just... I love No, her. but I need to. Hey, Carol, come on the screen and leave us. <laughs> Christine Gerke, when she and I were, okay, this is way too much information. When she and I were both roommates together in New York. Stop it. Uh, yes. Can you imagine what that household was like? Oh, okay, wait, Jake, if you haven't seen that episode of the three of us, you need to watch that one. I need to watch it. I'm sorry. Shenanigans every day. But Christine, Christine was a year ahead of me in the program at the Met. And, you know, I was this young singer that was still trying to figure out my voice, but Christine knew, boom, Mozart. And so she was covering Carol Vanessa and Cosi Fantutti, that new production mm -hmm. with Cecilia Bartoli, Carol, oh yeah. It I was, it. and I came to those, some of those rehearsals and yes. let me tell you, I almost split the seams of my pants laughing so much. They, shenanigans galore. Oh yeah. I mean... <laughs> It was so much fun. And so much fun. And she really, I mean, I loved, I loved how she worked because it was just real. And I really learned a lot from watching her because there was no, excuse me, it's our show. So there was no bullshit. Right. It was just Carol Vaness up there mm. making art. Yeah. And you know, I told her that. So yeah. yeah. I just I'm I'm sort of stuck on you and Gurky being roommates that's kind of amazing it was really loud i felt bad for our neighbors just put it that way <laughs> it, was really loud. it was loud but it was really fun it was fun and you know what christine gurky i'm gonna give away like a little trade secret she warms up in the shower and i really feel bad for the people that lived above us and below us because i a no tiles ever did come off the walls in her bathroom <laughs> but I'm surprised I didn't. And B, we had a Steinway piano in that living room. Uh -huh. And our poor neighbors, if they knocked on our door once, they knocked on our door 20 times because we would have little musical nights like Craig Rutenberg would come over and all these people, oh, shenanigans galore. Oh my gosh, we've named like uh, five people that need to come on this show. Hey, Craig. Yeah, I know, there you go. Nuts. <laughs> so much fun. I know, well, you know what? Life is too short not to have fun. That's what. No, and especially in this weird business, you know. <gasps> first of all, I mean the courage. First of all, I'm going to say an homage to singers that you are the bravest people I know, truly, to to do everything that you do and trust that this is going to work and go out <laughs> on stage and deliver this thing that touches and moves us and changes our lives again and again and again and then get on a plane and do it somewhere else and then do it somewhere else and all the stuff and crap you have to deal with. A, maybe a conductor that doesn't know the score. Maybe. Yeah, maybe a colleague. 
I mean, you know, I mean, I've heard that maybe that happens sometimes um, or get stuck in like a production you don't believe in or, oh, you know, people oh. are being rude or mean to you off stage or, you know, and you have to set it all aside and go out there and deliver this thing. And I just, I find it so moving and brave and beautiful. And I just, I have to just pay homage because you are my heroes and you're the, you really are the reason that I want to keep writing is the inspiration that you keep providing. It makes me brave too, you know? Well, hopefully we get back to it soon. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so you say singers, you love singing, 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 and singers, and thank you, because we yeah. love you just as well, because your music is so easy to sing, and it fits the voices, but why not, why not orchestral or symphonic, or was it because of Back to Barbara Streisand? <laughs> Back to Barbara. Hashtag Barbara Streisand. <laughs> um, no. Always goes back to Barbara and Sondheim usually for me. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've always been drawn to the voice and I do believe if you look historically, there are different types of, types of composers. There are composers that are more drawn to the theater mm -hmm. and there are composers that are drawn to the concert hall where symphonies and totally abstract and chamber music is their forte. Mm -hmm. And when they try vocal music or opera, uh, doesn't always work out. And the same with composers whose home is in the theater. Mm -hmm. Verdi didn't write a lot of songs or chamber music or symphonies, right? Mm -hmm. Even when he wrote you know, his oratorio, his requiem, it's an opera, right? Thank um, you. It's an opera. Yeah. And, um, you know, and same with Puccini, same mm -hmm. with all those composers. I mean, can you, I, I love Brahms. I love the songs. I love the chamber music, the or but can you imagine if he'd tried to write an opera? I think it would have been awful. And you look at Schubert, Schumann, they all tried, didn't work because no. they were, they, they, their home was a different place. Mm -hmm. And I don't, there are very few composers historically who do it all well, you know? Mozart, sure. Tchaikovsky, pretty much, mm -hmm. Janacek, mm -hmm. Britain, um, yeah. you know, and then the list starts to get universe but there's a there's a couple handfuls of composers that were able to do all of that well but other my student years of course they tried to get you to do everything and i would but it was always harder for me to write purely instrumental abstract music i was always wanted a story i always wanted words i always wanted a singer involved mm -hmm. and that's true to this day i keep getting asked to write chamber music and when i do usually it's based on a song or an aria that i previously wrote because i know that story okay. you know Okay, and I love writing for instruments, but the voice to me is always central. You're, that's your home. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Yeah. Okay, Margaret Atwood. Yes. How does something like this song cycle come about? Do you did, do you decide that? I mean, this is very nosy of me to ask this, but no. How does, how does it describe like how does a commission happen, or how does Work I mean, like, you, did you think I want to do Songs for Murdered Sisters and then you, you wrote it and called, figured out how to get a hold of her and said, hey, listen, I need you to hear this. Can you approve no. this? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, actually, do you guys know Josh Hopkins, the baritone? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so Josh had a terrible family tragedy five years ago. Um, his sister in Canada was, uh, was murdered by her ex-boyfriend on the same day that he went on a rampage and murdered three women. Um, and that. what it what it brought to light not only as a horrible tragedy for Josh, but 
this kind of domestic violence is not uncommon in the world. And in the UK and Canada, sometimes three to five women a week are murdered this way, and it goes essentially unnoticed or unreported. And, you know, and then we have terrible problems with domestic violence in our country, certainly all around the world. And so he thought, what can I do? I have a voice. I want to use my voice to do something, to wake someone up, to, to maybe bring this to someone else's attention. Um, and so he asked me if I would be interested in being part of that. And I said, yes, absolutely. And that was about four years ago. Okay. And then we started thinking about, well, what would this be like? What would this song cycle, what would this journey be like? And I said, well, I think we need to work with a great Canadian woman writer. Um, and I mean, who is greater than Margaret Atwood? So why not try? Right. So, so Josh found uh, the name and email address for her assistant. Mm -hmm. And then we started writing to the assistant, explaining the project. Mm -hmm. And these questions started coming back. And um, so we kept going. And so I finally realized, I think Margaret Atwood is BCC'd into <laughs> these conversations or something. Yes. And, uh, and all of a sudden, she appeared in the conversation. And she said, well, I'm not saying that I'm going to do it. But wouldn't there, shouldn't there be a female singer involved too? Mm -hmm. And I, I responded, well, I think this is a little like Winterreise, where this event happened, and now Josh has to figure out how to put the pieces of his life together to go forward, how to make sense of all this. And so he goes on this journey. And that must have resonated, because like a week later, all of a sudden she says, well, I'm not saying that I'm doing it, but how about something like this? And there were these eight poems that were like, I, I couldn't speak. I was like shaking. I was sobbing so hard. She is such a genius. And, um, and Josh felt the same way. And so that was the birth of the project. But it, it starts with a story, an event, right. something that gets set in motion. I tell young composers and singers and performers that a, a great story is like a well. And if it's, if it's a really strong and it's based on an event or a human experience or something, but it's like a well and it's really rich and a writer will go in there and dig around in the well and mine something and bring out something amazing. Then it's my job to go in there and dig around and do something with it and come out with something. And you guys as singers, your job is not just to take what we put on the page, because of course you're going to study all of that, but then a great singer, they go into the well and dig around and see what that feels like. And then they bring that experience to it. And that's what I live for, is that collaboration of everyone going to the well mm -hmm. and bringing something different out, some new perspective that no one else could have brought to, to the fore. Mm -hmm. um, and that, so that's the process and that's how the Margaret Atwood thing happened. That's Has awesome. he done them? Has he performed them yet? No, but what we did was we recorded them um, at a studio in Northern California, and then we used that as the soundtrack for a film, um, not just a film of a recital, but like a movie of the event with a director who's a film director. And it was, oh, it's going to be so beautiful. It's about a 27 minute piece. Okay. And so it'll, it'll be streamed for the premiere because we were supposed to do it this fall, but of course we couldn't. Um, but this is a beautiful document and it, it really helps tell the story and I'm very, very proud of it. I can't wait. That sounds amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Super. And I've written it so it can be done by men or women. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I might need to look into those. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very, very powerful. It's a beautiful, beautiful, meaningful cycle. Yeah. Because I have my Carnegie Hall debut coming up in two years. 
What? Yes, and and how have you not made your Carnegie Hall debut yet? I know. Can you believe? Well, uh, uh, yeah, I actually kind of made it with a duet recital with Dmitry Vodostovsky many years ago, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a. I know. God rest his soul. And um, but I, it's not been a solo recital, so cat out of the bag a little bit. Jake and I have been talking about writing a song yes. about my mother. Yes, and. I hopefully, if I don't cry, am going to write the words. Yay! You are going so, to write the words. Not hopefully. Yeah, I, will. The words. I will. Uh, I will. And this has been something that I've loved to do is to collaborate with great singers who I, yeah. one of my first collaborations with Flicka, she wrote the words for a couple of song cycles that we did together. That's awesome. And, um, you know, and I've done that with a couple of singers, but this, this is such a meaningful, um, yeah, me- meaningful project. I hope so. I mean, fingers crossed that I, I, I can, Carrie and I were just talking about that, learning how to compartmentalize our lives because, you know, when we're doing the show, we have to stay positive and happy and talk about things. But, you know, then, then you, you know, you have your mother and, and Carrie has her life things that she's dealing with right now. And it's, you know, it's hard for the mental health issues right now are, are really in the forefront for so many of us artists because, when are we going to get back to be able to doing what we're doing? Yeah. You know, and, and to have that for me, I said to my manager, I need this because I need something to look forward to. Absolutely, I need something to help me go forward and to find that path for the next six months, year, whatever. And I was an English minor in college. So I thought, right, I love writing poetry and lyrics and things. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. It's, it's going to be great and so meaningful because it's so deeply meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the projects that matter the most when it's so deeply meaningful to everyone and there's a connection that we have. And it's specific and yet very broad and universal. Right. So well, many I think can go everyone this. has a story about their mother and, you know, none of our relationships with our parents, as we know, are perfect. And oh, what are you talking about? My family is totally perfect. <laughs> um, I haven't had anything to work through all these years. I think from what we read, there might have been some drama, some drama, trauma, trauma, drama, you know, like, but yeah, that's. Okay, I'm sorry. I want to like totally 180 this conversation because there's really Please. cool stuff I want to ask you about. Um, about the new opera that was commissioned. Was it commissioned? I think if I read that correctly, it was commissioned by Houston Grand Opera. Yes, yes. Can you tell us about that? I mean, first off, does Houston Grand Opera just call you and say, listen, we want a new opera, we want you to write it? Or do you say, listen, I've got this great story like Dead Man Walking, do you want it first? Well, um, <clears throat> it's a combination, but usually they come to me and ask. You okay. know, um, if, if a company comes to me, I want to be ready with, you know, things that I've been thinking about or I'm inspired sure. by. And it just happened that when uh, HGO came forward and said they'd like to do, uh, because I've been commissioned to write operas for them that have been done in their smaller theater, yeah. but, they've, but they've never commissioned something from me for the main stage. Okay. And so they said they'd like to do something on the main stage. And I had just heard the story about these two amazing women, um, Elizabeth Van Loo and Mary Jane Bowser, who were uh, women in Richmond, Virginia during the Civil War, and they were hidden spies. And 
uh, getting information to the North. They were these brave, fearless women who decided to use their brains and every bit of power that they had, including their invisibility, mm -hmm. uh, to get information and get it to the North and make a difference. Cool. Mary Jane was a black woman who had been enslaved to the Van Loo family. Elizabeth recognized extraordinary in intelligence in her and got her educated in the North, sent her on a mission to Liberia, she came back. And during the war, she was placed as a hidden spy and servant in Jefferson Davis's White House. She could read, she could write, she had a photographic memory, she remembered conversations, she had access to all the papers, to all the dinner parties, all the conversations, and got all the secrets through different messages to Elizabeth who got them to the North. It is an unbelievable story. And yet, wow. it's true. Do you remember when the movie Hidden Figures came out yeah. about those amazing women. Right. I saw it and I was so moved and excited and I was really pissed off because I thought, why didn't I know this story? Right. Why didn't I know this story growing up? This is a story I should have known from yeah. day one. Absolutely. And I feel the same way about this story. Wow. And so I was determined to get it out there. The way we're going to do it though is we have seven singers and I'm working very closely with a woman named Jawale Zoller mm -hmm. who founded Urban Bush Women in New York. Yes. And and, and it's her company, Urban Bush Women and Houston Grand Opera putting this together, eight of her dancers, seven singers. I've never done a project like this, so it's terrifying. It's also really inspiring. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, you know, it's something that I've dreamed of. Okay. <laughs> and so it's, it's happening in November of 21. And um, hopefully there'll be a vaccine. We can go back there to will the theater. Be. You know what? We have to, we have to believe it. We have to yeah. believe it. Have yeah, to believe it. happening. Yeah. But I'm really excited about Jean Shears doing the libretto. Cool. Jawale is wow. our spirit guide and <laughs> our, you know, and our compass. And um, it's just been an amazing journey. Um, it was, you know, my career has been, I, you know, we all know what we're good at and what we do, but we always want to stretch and challenge ourselves right. to do something else so we don't get stuck and just repeat. Right. Um, and so my career is like Dead Man Walking, Moby Dick. It's a wonderful life. <laughs> Intelligence, 3 December. You know, like, so that I'm doing something different and challenging myself all the time so that maybe I'll learn something new and maybe something different will come out of my imagination than I could have ever expected or anticipated. So, so do you stay in touch with, with um, the current news and, and topics that are interesting? For instance, I mean, you have Ruth Bader Ginsburg there and behind you. Is yeah. that a potential opera? Is there a topic that you are dying to do? Oh yes, but I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> that information you get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have the unborn children. You have to keep secret. Okay. Um, <laughs> but um, but Ruth uh, actually Justice Ginsburg uh, wrote the lyric for a new song cycle I'm writing for Jamie Barton right now. Um, the song, I knew that. Yeah, uh, the song cycle came about. Uh, it's for next year for Jamie, and it's. Um, it came about right when everything was shutting down. And so in April, I wrote to a bunch of people and I said, I want you to write a short poem about what you miss the most. Mm. And uh, so Joyce DiDonato wrote a beautiful thing. Patty Lapone wrote a beautiful thing. Mm. Sister Helen Prejean wrote something and Ruth Ginsburg wrote me just a beautiful short phrase that I'm going to incorporate in it too. Um, it's so, yeah. People really, these people really inspire me. But yeah, there's so many great stories out there to tell and so many different ways we can tell them. So 
it's really thrilling and great artists like you to make them come to life. And that, that means everything because I can imagine it, but until I know there's someone great to do it, it's, it's just not going to come to life. So I, before I start any project, I have to know who I'm writing for. Okay? Yeah. Cause that makes it all come alive. Sure. Absolutely. So specific. And you know what it is. You have to make it specific and then it can be so many things. So many, you know, yeah. I have to say from our, from, and I know I can speak for both of us, Sandra and I, um, from our perspective, ev we live for the moments for those jobs where everyone on stage, everyone in the pit, everyone backstage, everyone believes in what's happening on stage. And it's so magical and it's so wonderful because then all of a sudden word gets out, the theater gets packed, people want to come see the show. Even yeah. if the reviewers hate it, whatever. And it's the, I find, it, lately over the last couple of years it was almost like burnout because i was finding less and less of those moments it was more about how fast and furious can we put a show up how you know until you run into a director like david mcvicker and even as small as the role i was doing at the time singing with sandra i did it was so moving because there was so much into this character that i was able actually somebody wanted that for me again and that what I live challenging me and saying, go, I want you in the well, your well that you're talking about. So yeah. there are those performers, like I feel like I can say Sandra and I are, that live for those moments, that stay in this business for those moments and um, want more of them. And I don't, because of the pandemic and because money's going to be tight, it's scary to think that, oh my God, there's not going to be enough money. We're going to be in two weeks rehearsal and we've got to, you know, put something up. I just don't want to put crap up. I want to put up something that we right. all believe oh, in. But Boy, oh boy, when we get back in that room, it is going to be so meaningful to be connecting to people and for you to be singing and feeling the vibration with your colleagues. Yeah. And isn't it all about vibrations over time, you know, and tapping into those vibrations? The miracle of those notes that were put on the page hundreds of years ago, and here you are, the vessels for the, and all of a sudden it's vibrating and it's alive again and it's brand new again, <laughs> yeah. you know? That's a miracle. It is. I mean, there's no other art form like that. Nope. It is a miracle. Yeah. And, um, and so I think when we get back in the room and when the audiences feel comfortable and confident about joining us in that room, I just think it's going to be so amazing. Everybody is going to want to be there. They're going to want to feel the connection. I think they're starved for it. Yeah. I think, I think young people are starved for it and don't even know how starved they are right. for it. That's I why I think we see, can. Sorry, yeah. I can't wait to see what, what is going to happen when yeah. everything opens up because I think we are going to have some miraculous, miraculous productions, singing, people, their creativity is off the charts right now, I really think. And I think more than ever, too, we will be champions for each other and for the art form. Yeah. I think everyone got so tired with traveling and get, it's easy to get jaded. You get exhausted, right? Absolutely. And then people get, you know, professional jealousies, it gets snipey and, you know, can be very mean. Um, but I feel like we have to go back to gratitude and appreciation for the opportunity and the, the honor and luxury of being involved in this art form. And, the, and feeling such gratitude for being there and ready to embrace the whole thing. Um, I just feel like it's going to be a very different experience. <laughs> Remember that after the pandemic of 1918 came the roaring 20s, okay? So right. 
I'm ready. I'm ready. I need to you know learn what? something. <laughs> I think we need to send this video to to every singer out there and just remind them that. Hold on. Hold on. This is why we love what we do, yeah. because we are we've all been given a gift. We all have a gift, and it's our gift to share it yes. with the world. And it's coming. I know it's coming. You know, it's absolutely hundred percent. And you know, it just you just got to hang on. I mean the the business has always been hard it's a brutal can be a very mean business it can also be incredibly gratifying mm -hmm. you meet amazing people you get to do amazing music and productions right yeah, with incredible totally. colleagues mm -hmm. and like you said when when everyone is on the same page and you're all telling the same story it's it's like magical right it's like it's like a drug. It's like a drug, right? And you're like, oh, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's yeah, do it again. Wait, you can't wait. You can't wait. And then when you go to the next job and you're like, oh, damn. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, I can yeah. count on two hands how many times I've had those magical pinch yeah. me kind of experiences. And I've been doing this. Yeah. And twice they were with me. I'm sorry. Like two of them were with yeah. me. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even three. Yeah, maybe three. Yeah. For sure. But kids, Carrie and I, we've done, actually one of them is that, the Rusalka that we did here in Toronto. That was so fun. It was Born oh. Princess, and I was Rusalka, and it was... Oh, why couldn't I see that? I want to see oh. that. I love that opera. Jake, and it was David McVicker's production. Oh, it, my God. It's a great production. I've seen it. Yes. Oh, my God. That must have been so awesome. First of all, that opera is so beautiful. I actually, that was one of the operas that turned my perspective. Peter Grimes was one that turned my perspective. Ooh, oh my God. Um, I saw Peter Grimes with, with, uh, with John Vickers, you know, early on. And that was sort of like, you know, and then Sweeney Todd with Angela Lansbury. And, but I saw Rusalka at San Francisco Opera. It was Renee Fleming's first time doing it in like oh. 1995, something like that. Beautiful. And it was literally like, wait a second, what? How come nobody knows this opera? Why is this not opera not done all the time? Is it because it's in Czech, which is difficult? Is that why? Yes. That opera is so beautiful. It, it really, and, and it, I don't even think of it as an opera. I think of it as more of a tone poem mm -hmm. in that there are these, these dramatic scenes and it's just so amazing. And that to have two sopranos in an opera that's so dramatic and how different they are and it, no, it's, 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 it truly is, and I've said this every time, it's my favorite opera, maybe because I'm Czech, but another, another silly story for you, you talk about John Vickers a lot. So, yeah. you know, I live in Canada, and this piano right here yeah. is tuned by the same piano tuner as John Vickers' <laughs> piano was, because he wow. lives literally a half a mile away from me. Stop it. Oh, my God. That I and Barbara Streisand? A mile away from me. I, every time I walk by, because I, I, in the summertime, I, I take long walks and I go by the house and I literally go like, um, um, around, Carrie's driven by the house. She doesn't know it, but she's driven by the house. So, wow. John, I mean. You you're like the celebrity crossroads, Barbara Streisand, John Vickers, all the, it's like, wow. Yeah, we, we, we came together, so. You, yeah. famous, you famous, Sandra, you famous. No, I, I never met John Vickers. I just, I just know his house. And you know what? It's just because I'm Canadian, you know. <laughs> oh my God. What other composers? I know you talked about Puccini and Verdi there. What other composers really have like pushed your buttons? Um, the French Impressionists, really. I mean, Ravel, Debussy, 
really uh, uh, a lot. And then uh, Britain, but also Sondheim and Bernstein, Gershwin, Barber, all of those composers, um, all the music theater composers, musical theater composers that I loved as a kid, all those the brilliant, brilliant scores, you know, and really deeply moving stories. Um, I just, it's, it's a real broad range because I, of course, I love Mozart. I also love Chopin. Okay. You know, Chopin was like saved my life several times when I was a kid. Um, you know, and one of my first visits when I moved to Paris, I was 18. I was struggling a lot as a kid. My father committed suicide when I was 10. And um, so I hid a lot because you talk about an abandonment issue. So I never felt very good about myself. I didn't like myself very much. Um, but I felt so at home and like I belonged in music, you know? Yeah. And, and Chopin was sort of the gateway for that for me. Or, you know, Beethoven, Mozart, but mostly Chopin. And when one of my first stops when I went, moved to Paris when I was 18 and still struggling a lot was I went to his grave in Père Lachaise mm -hmm. and it was, it was November and so it was very cold yeah. and there were fresh red roses scattered all over his grave. Oh. And when I turned around, it started to snow. And it was the first snow of that year. It was like one of those moments where you're like, okay. Universe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, universe. I get it. I hear you. <laughs> I love Isn't that. that amazing? It, it yeah. just, story. things happen. Like my father died when I was 17 of a heart attack. And I, I truly think that it was that moment that made me the artist that I am. Do you feel that too? Absolutely. Um, I went very much inside and, uh, and this is actually a, a good message and, and, and story for, uh, that I tell young artists all the time. I really, I, it pushed me to write because that's where I felt like I could express things that I couldn't express else, elsewhere. Yes. Um, so I started writing for Barbara and I started playing the piano a lot and getting deeper and deeper into music. And then I ran away to Paris and lived in Europe for a couple of years. And then I got myself into like, really, we need a, we need a whole bunch of these to like tell the whole story. But I hated being, I hated that I was gay. Um, I wanted to hide it because I grew up in a, in a world where that was a terrible thing uh, and something to be ashamed of. And so I kept that hidden. I even married my piano teacher when I was 21, who was 50 years older than I was. Um, like I said, we need a lot more of these to like tell the whole story. Uh, well, we'll have part two maybe, Jake. Right? <laughs> but, but it wasn't until I finally broke out of that and realized I didn't have to be ashamed of everything inside of me. And I found people who encouraged me to break through and were gonna be there for me no matter what, mm -hmm. that the whole creative world opened for me. Mm -hmm. It cracked open, but it wasn't until I could accept and be authentic with myself, that I could be authentic in music and to the world. And then all the greatest people in the world came into my life that I had been cheating myself out of for all those years. No, I always knew great people, but it just, the whole world got so much bigger because I finally stopped hiding, you know? And that's when everything broke through, when I moved to San Francisco, essentially. That's so, huge. That's huge. And I think that yeah. story can actually help a lot of people. I mean, it's, yeah. it's brilliant. I'm so grateful that you did, that you came out of hiding. Yeah. You gave us what yeah. you've given us. Yeah. We just but talked to Amy Barton and had that, and we had that very similar story yeah. with her. And I see why you two connect. 
now knowing your story and her story mm -hmm. and you know yeah. maybe you're going to inspire a lot more people not just artists but people in in yeah. the normal world we call it yeah. it's it's yeah. The, the, the civilians the civilians sorry but no it's it's really true and but i think it applies in any any part any person in any part of the world true. if you're constantly hiding yourself if you're so afraid of your authentic yourself your authentic self that you keep it pushed down the only thing it's going to hurt is you true. and you will you won't find your, your your true path it's like i talk to singers all the time about how you have to let things go we, we breathe in air you have to exhale right you bring in food or liquid you have to let it go pass through <laughs> emotions have to pass through you right Ooh, and yeah. so it, the more you hold on to these things the more destructive it is because you hold on to any of those things and it will hurt you right mm -hmm. so letting it pass through you letting it go being that vessel and that's true for everyone in this world and the more you hold on to this stuff the more destructive it is to you and the people around you yeah. so it's a it was a big lesson learned it, sure. and, and a hard one yeah uh, but necessary and I yep. feel so lucky I learned it when I did, because some people never learn that lesson, you know? Well, they don't. Especially artists. So on that note, Carrie, should we ask some rapid fire? Yes. Are you, are you up for it? I'm ready. Okay, because that was such a beautiful note to leave. leave I know, that. I love that. I'm really I love emotional these days, so thank you. Oh, it's so hard. It's like the emotional roller coaster every day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. I really feel for you. I know it's so hard. Yeah. yeah. And, but yeah. it will come back. It will. It will. Yeah. I, you know what? I have to tell myself that every day, or else I will be stuck with you know a bottle of these. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a good thing. So no, um, that's retirement, Sandra. That's not now. Okay. Yeah. Terry <laughs> and I, by the way, we're going to retire in the villages in Florida together because we're convinced that both of our husbands are retiring and passing away before both of us yeah so we're gonna be in the villages in florida together as two retired ladies you know you're welcome to that party I'll yeah come to your parties you can, okay you can ride our decorated golf carts we're we're ready yeah <laughs> it really is you know like betty white and and we are i'm ready we are, we are there. oh my god the golden girls please <laughs> please, please oh yeah carrie and i are so the golden girls like uh, it's yes. happening it's happening. so rapid okay. fire number okay. one What's the worst gift you've given your husband? Oh. <laughs> the worst gift I've given my husband? Oh, I know. There was a Valentine's Day. I don't know what I was thinking. I gave him a mop. <laughs> oh my God. And he's still married to you? <laughs> it was terrible. I thought it was such a cool mop, though. It had like these changing heads, and we had these new floors, and I thought, this is going to be so cool. And I gave it to him, and he goes, you gave Valentine's Day and you gave me a mop. And I'm like, all right, that probably was a mistake. We need to talk to him. That was <laughs> that bad. That was very bad. <laughs> okay, I got I got a Dyson vacuum cleaner for Christmas last year. So yeah. Okay, but that's a very cool machine. So I don't I still like it's this is a vacuum got. cleaner. I'm sorry. There is nothing sexy or romantic about a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> My husband's gonna watch this and go, Sandra. <laughs> So what is your favorite word? My favorite word? Mm-hmm. Yes. Least favorite. Goodbye. What's the strangest thing you know too much about? 
the strangest thing I ever Mops. <laughs> wow. No, I'm not an expert on mops. That is for sure. Clearly. Uh, <laughs> strangest thing that I know too much about mm -hmm. that's really weird I don't what would it be I'm a weird guy I know a lot of weird stuff what's the strange it's probably not strange to me that's the issue huh I know this is supposed to be rapid fire but like nothing is coming to mind okay all right Nick. Right? next question then what is the one thing you've tried that you'll never do again uh you don't have to answer. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> the one thing that I've done that I will never do again is for sure go to an open casket funeral. Never again. Oh, oh, never, never oh. do that again. Never. Okay. I did that as a Sorry, kid. I know that was creepy, but it really made an impression. Okay. I can't do that. No, it's fine. Um, but <laughs> okay. Hey, you know. But you know, but. I think it probably has to do with some kind of dance that I probably tried that I probably should never have tried and looked really, really ridiculous. I'm having trouble adjusting to my age, you mm -hmm. guys. So it's like, sometimes I'll do silly things and there are young people present and they go, with horror, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I'm living my best life. I don't care how old exactly. I am. Thank you very much. <laughs> I think you look great. Yeah, we both think you look. So what is your what is your favorite sound or noise and what is your least favorite sound or noise? Oh, any sound of pain or suffering is my least favorite, you know. Uh, I just, it really gets right to my core. And on the opposite end, favorite, probably favorite sound is limited, but children mm -hmm. laughing and playing. Children laughing and playing, I love that sound. That's a good we have neighbors that have three kids and when those three kids are out there laughing and singing, it is just, everything is right in the world, you know? But I do understand from their mother's perspective that there are times she just wants to throw them all out the window, so. That might be her favorite and least favorite all wrapped up in one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Absolutely. Okay, I've never asked this question, but I'm uh -oh. just gonna, yeah, you're the guinea pig. So right. if you were stranded on a desert island with a colleague that you've worked with before, yeah. who would be your pick and why? Duh. Oh my gosh. Oh, well, <laughs> I was gonna say Barbara Streisand, duh. I never worked with her though. Yeah, but you've not worked with her. Yeah, I haven't, and I don't know that I wanna be on a desert island with Barbara. I mean, I love Barbara, but I don't know Barbara. So True. She, might like, she might not like me, right? Yeah. Gosh. Um, you know, it's so unfair to pick one because they're all so great. We'll give you five, top five. Okay, um, Devily, Joyce, Jamie, Flicka, uh, Susie, Graham, um, and who's my fifth? Who's my fifth? Who's my, oh. Sasha Cook. <laughs> oh, Sasha. Latvi Mansouri. Carol Ness. Who else, who else? Okay, we could just stop with four. Yeah, I think you have to throw Carol Ness in there because you need a little wack. If you if it's crazy, you need some crazy. So on an on a deserted island. Come on. All right, go Sandra. You gotta have a little crazy. <laughs> like, what did I get myself into? Oh my god. Okay. It wasn't Carrie Fun. You see why we're best friends? Yeah. I do. I see. You keep things lively up there in Canada, huh? Oh yeah. Well, well there's Nashville. Hey. There in Nashville. And that's why we started the show because we we were constantly talking to each other at the beginning of the pandemic and we're like yeah. you know what 
we need to bring this hilarity and this craziness yeah. to our <laughs> Let's rip off what opera singers really, you know, people think we are, and let's, we're real people. We go through the same yeah. crap as everybody else. We're not these big divas. We're just real, and we are really wondering what in the world is going on in the world right now. So, yeah. let's yeah. get our friends on here. Start Mary, on that note, ask her favorite question. Okay. What's your favorite cuss word? <laughs> Fuck. Yes. When, when, I mean, it just feels so good to say it. I say it all the time. All the yeah. time, and especially right word. now. Carrie's favorite word. Motherfucker. Motherfucker. He has the modified fuck. <laughs> what's, a, what's a song that gets stuck in your head or a theme or something recently? A song that gets stuck in my head. If I say it, it's going to get stuck in my head again. I know, I'm sorry. There's so many. That's okay. Um, what's the most recent one? Um, this is really strange, but there's a song called Time by the Alice, Alan Parsons Project. Mm -hmm. Yes. That I, if I just find it really haunting and beautiful and every now and then it just goes in there and it's, it's very, you know, I mean, it definitely dates me, but I find it a, a very beautiful song and it's been uh, echoing a lot during this time. Right. And I love that song, yeah. Last question. Mm -hmm. Do it. Uh, my brain just uh, totally died. Yeah. <laughs> um, if heaven are you exists, on scan? Are you on scan? I'm like, I'm done. We are, we, are, we are totally on scan these oh days. You know, like, mm. Okay, if heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say as you walk through the pearly gates? <sighs> Here's your coffee machine. <gasps> <gasps> I love it. Yay, coffee, coffee, coffee. Please, please. You I love copy so much. It's the only reason music gets written. Seriously, I just like drink it all day. I have an espresso machine. Yeah. Starts with that in the morning. Yes. It goes, then I go to Pete's Coffee and I get my Americano and almond milk and that gets me through that part of the day. Then I go have more coffee and I love it. Amazing. So hey. yeah, that would be heaven. I love that. That's awesome. Um, and unlimited coffee. Yes, yeah. unlimited supply unlimited. of an espresso. <laughs> Just for you and Pete's because Pete's is delicious. But you delicious. can only get it over there. Um, I wanted to give a shout out for your podcast. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, I think it's super cool. And um, and if you want some shenanigans, you know who to call. Absolutely. <laughs> we were it was that was so challenging, you know. I was literally it was it was just over a year ago. I was talking to this one person and we had just been to this meeting where all these people from opera companies all over the world were talking about you know, production and this and that. And it, no one was talking about singers. And I was like, you guys, if we don't have great singers, we don't have opera, right? Let's get back, let's get back to it, okay? And I thought, when did that divide happen between popular culture and singers, you know? How do we bring you guys back? You guys are so interesting, so fascinating, so brave. And so we decided to do a little thing with a, with a podcast to talk about finding your voice, not just your, your voice as a singer, but your voice as an individual. Sure. Because those paths sometimes aren't allied and there's suddenly something happens. And those are really interesting stories. And so um, that's how that started. And we're gonna do another season. So stand by, it's going to happen. We're here. We okay. are here. The screaming ninjas are, are ready, willing and able. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so, so much for your time. It was such a pleasure oh, to meet you. It was a blast. It really was. And cheers. 
And let, let us hope that we meet yeah. on yes. stage in person very soon. Yeah. Very soon. Yeah. I'm so. with you 100%. I believe in you guys. Thank you so much. I believe in you too. And stay safe and well. Please stay yes. safe and well. We'll do it. Okay. okay. Thank you, Jay. Bye. Bye. Bye.